Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. Or actually, it's midnight, and uh, I'm um, putting on the episode at this hour because it just feels like it's time. And tomorrow morning, uh, there are many things that I have to do. So I thought I was up and all day writing and creating, and I thought, well, let me do this now while I'm on fire. What we do here, Venus Unplugged, we talk and explore and discover through dreams, myths, uh, astrology, um, our own creative madness and divinity uh, about things, all things Venusian. And what I've been going over is the... um, the myth of Persephone, she's abducted into the underworld. Some say safe, oh, some say raped, others say ravished. So Persephone and Hades, we went over Hades last week, and I want to go a little more into Hades and Persephone as the archetypal relationship. What do they represent? What do they represent in our lives, and where are they uh, lurking in the corners of our of our love and beauty and art. Okay? So uh Hades you know, a shadow aspect a Hades man is a man who's usually very can be very, very quiet or withdrawn. Well, I don't quite know what has happened. I was just disconnected for some reason. So maybe I shouldn't be doing this. I'm wondering. I have no idea if I'm recording. Well, I'm just going to go on as if. Uh, That's the only way we can... uh, How can I tell if this damn thing is recording? Well, I guess the surprise is on me. Okay, so we're back to Hades and Persephone. Now, the Hades man um, is very introverted, often very shy. He's not always a hit with uh, the women. He, uh, although, 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 uh, he can help people connect to very deep feelings, but he doesn't necessarily help them move to higher states of consciousness. So... It's a very complex um, archetype, and the Hades man uh, may not be very good at flirting or dating. Uh, he could have elaborate fantasies, uh, but relationships with real women that could be a that could be hard pressed. So he can seem kind of brutish or disinterested, when in fact he's longing, longing for his Persephone, longing for a real woman to share his deep mysteries and wealth uh, with, all right? So um, he, his his longing for this, for this connection also can be a repulsion, like 
people are like, man, this person's too intense, or they really want something so deeply or quickly. But it doesn't mean a stalker. It just means somebody who really, really, really uh, is longing and, and does know uh, that that he, he that he can deeply love a woman, right? And he's committed and he's faithful in relationships. And marriage can draw a hates man out of his reclusion and into participation in family and community. Unlike his brother, who is a total scallywag, you know, uh, Zeus the unfaithful. So hates once a bride, brokers a deal with his brother, abducts Persephone. Now, in the earlier versions of, of this story, Persephone actually hears a call and goes into the underworld. I vote for that one. I vote that in her, her longing. She, too, longs to help and to heal. Now, the, the, and a Persephone woman, that is what she's about. She is about... Uh, she has to separate from the past, and she has to transform into a new person. And then she guides others, so she has to break away from the mother or the mother complex or the mother tongue or the mother belief, okay? And then she has to find her own deep feminine knowing, not what Mama told her, but what she knows to be true. And these types of women are very... Very, very good at helping others travel through the dark place of unknowing, right? Uh, which some would call the underworld. So, you know, you can start to see how these two opposites are, are longing, and that is so what creates loving relationships, or certainly it creates a lot of drama and dilemma in, in our own relationships. But the, the shadow of the Persephone, when she's being dysfunctional, is she's like too passive and she's just so sweet and she's so good. And You know, I mean, you got to get some fire going. you got to get some heat. you got to get some shadow. Uh, so she can escape into fantasy worlds uh, and she may be very psychically gifted, uh, but she suffers from um, psychological illnesses or anorexia or, or just delusions. Or she's so high strung she can't bring order. She does not think. Uh, so sometimes uh, she can kind of fade away quietly. And she's she tries to please her mother and that's and be a good girl and that's sure to get her in trouble. So, what happens when these two come together? What is this archetypal myth pointing at to us, to us little human beings up here? So the the Hayes Persephone marriage is transformational. It's a couple that has successively uses this energy and guides each other through life changing experiences. Uh, if they separate, sometimes it's possibly very painful, uh, but they have to separate from the past. And they mature to higher stages of personal growth. In the Hades-Persephone relationship, the Hades partner forces the Persephone partner to change. He loves her without loving her present or her past. 
because he loves her. He sees her emerging new life stage and loves her for that, but without projecting his own issues onto her. I mean, granted, he does shove a pomegranate in her face, but that's just to make sure she's coming back. I'm not so sure that he shoved it. I think she partook of the apple but wasn't going to, like, tell Mama. You know, because in the underworld, she's queen. In the upper world, she's just, you know, Demeter's daughter, and Demeter wants to uh, just hold her forever in this virginal state. And I don't know. You, once you've been in the underworld, it's a little hard not to want to go back and find out where the action is, the fun and the mystery, right? So they they represent opposites within ourselves because we have to be forced to experience our pain and our suffering. And that helps us maintain a supportive relationship until we help one another see one another through difficult times, right? So we care about, uh, he, he, he cares about his partner more than he cares about himself very often. And that he doesn't necessarily uh, want to do uh, what he's told, but what must be done, you see? He's a stern taskmaster. The law is the law. Just as there's laws to feelings. So when when we care about another person, very often, you know, that's considered a feminine trait. Uh, But not what you're told when you must is a masculine trait. So Hade's partner uses masculine and feminine behaviors at the same time. He transcends gender roles. The relationship transforms him as well as transforming his partner. So how does this apply into our everyday rock and roll kind of life? Well, there is uh, that belief that uh, this dance of opposites And most people harbor uh, the illusion that feeling good was produced solely by the positive pole of the opposites. Did you hear that? I'm going to say that three times. Once for the conscious mind, once for the unconscious mind, and once for the superconscious mind. Okay. Most individuals harbor the illusion that the good feeling was produced solely by the positive pole of the opposites. Most individuals harbor the illusion that the good feeling was produced solely by the positive pole of the opposites. Excuse me. Particularly those that brought admiration and approval. These individuals tended to get stuck in one side of each pair for long periods of time. Sound familiar, anybody? So, like, we'll hold on to jobs or we'll hold on to relationships or, you know, whatever it is, we're holding religious beliefs. Long after the real feeling and nourishment has disappeared, which is a very interesting concept. Took that you lost that loving feeling, right? We 
we have these beliefs that we hold on to and and regurgitate and and want validation and all this stuff and it, they've lost their feeling. They have no nutritional value for heart and soul. But we keep because it was always done this way or whatever we tell ourselves, okay? So part of that to keep feelings alive and nourished, we must have an openness to change. And that openness to change, in a sense, is what happens with Hades and Persephone. They are so different, but they're brought into one another's worlds. And uh, a lot's going on down there. And there are a few instances where Persephone is taking uh, some... uh, heroes and heroines out of the underworld and helping them journey through. So it's not, it's very caring. It's very, and and she cares for the dead and he protects the dead. And he has laws that tell you, you have to honor the dead or else, okay? So, you know, life and death and the opposites, love and power, opposites. So without this dance, without this movement, but it's not the good feelings or the positive pole of the opposites that make us love. It's the negative, the unlove. So when we begin to understand, uh, you know, nature kind of comes to the rescue with feelings that they kind of jumpstart us. Uh, and, and idle growth and development energies. And it's as if the self has embedded an opposite feeling in every experience in life, including love. It embeds feelings of attraction and repulsion that serve its goal. The self appears to do this uh, to preserve its integrity and its totality of its structure. Anytime one believes that the pleasure experience was due solely to one of the opposites, the other opposite is in danger of being left out. Don't be flat leaving the other side. The totality of the self, however, does not want to become half of the self, in which one of the pairs of opposites is missing. Any stone that is missing or is in danger of becoming missing is a threat to the structural integrity of the self. The self demands opposites because there's no dance of life and death and growth and love and becoming movement. So the totality of the self does not want to become half of the self in which uh, one of the pairs of opposites is missing. Any stone that is missing, uh, 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 or is in danger of missing, is a threat to the structural integrity of the self. Repeated that twice. It makes no difference to the self whether the stone is acceptable to the ego or not. The ego, um, on the other hand, is more comfortable with a partial structure. Do you hear that? Or the ego's more, half a loaf is good enough for the ego, right? Not for the self. Self wants opposite. 
so when we begin to understand that, it's like, well, I'll just take the side that I like, or you know, I'll I'll just eat the cherry on the cake. No, you're already in trouble. That's the ego. That's not the heart of love. That's not your soul. And people will always you're either on the side of good or on your side of ego, evil. No, you're 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 both. So this is what we need to understand. Life really would be easier if it were not so ambivalent. But we cannot be ambivalent. It's simply, in, in some ways, it's simply easy to hold one side by the hands. But holding on to only one side allows us to concentrate on our strengths. In doing so, we dilute our understanding. Okay, so we may be able to hold on to only one side. But there will be no understanding. I think it's very important. And that's also what happens with Persephone and Hades. There, you know, it, it, the the understanding. It's a relationship that longs to understand. So, if we dilute our understanding, and it's neurotic to make. Uh, or trying to make life easier. That's dangerous. We can have the four easy. No, you can't. I mean, you can, but you'll never get the other side. You'll never get the fullness. You won't, you won't be able to really understand this. It's not going to move you or change you or grow you. It's just going to seem easier. Right? So it's neurotic to want the easier, the purpose of life, because making life easier also means leaving part of it out. And life doubles everything. We cannot have one thing without another. So when we begin to recognize that, we begin to understand the opposites or why um, why we need these opposites and not to be so judgmental and allow feelings which are not emotions feelings are what we value we begin to understand that our feelings they, they serve a higher purpose because the feelings are about the growth and the development and the survival of the psychic life, your internal world. Just like, you know, water has memory. All water has memory. And so does our feelings. Which, you know, 72% water. So when we begin to understand these tension of the opposites and to be psychologically alive, we need to feel. And in order to become conscious of our feelings, we need the opposites and the dance with them, the back and the forth, the in and the out, and the side to side. Without feeling and the consciousness produced by contrasting opposites, there is no psychic life. So you're going to be growing yourselves with all these opposites. And, you know, if we learn to be still and just let it bounce all over the place, it's amazing what happens in a couple of days. So without feelings and our consciousness of them, our bodies 
uh, uh, could be alive and we wouldn't know it. Consciousness of feelings is the result of tension and the release of tension between opposites. Just as the tension between the bow and the bowstring give flight to the arrow. Our life depends on the separating and the coming together of opposites. Opposites repel and attract, and that is what creates the dance that enlivens us. So we see this in this this myth of this abduction. But it's a very enlivened myth. I mean, there's not a lot of interpretation on it because, you know, the ancient Greeks, they didn't really want to talk about AIDS too much because they didn't really want to invite him to the party because they were afraid that it know much about him. They think as you, you know, through reflection, you begin to say, okay, so what is this other? So, and how does this other... How does this Hades figure uh, appear in our own life, this mysterious, brooding, powerful force that uh, can be a bit of a skull dragon, and yet we're so um, attracted, Phantom of the Opera-ish. So when we're repelled and attracted, which is all the time, we're alive, This is how the yogis, when it's time for them to uh, to leave the planet, they stop. They completely neutralize the opposites that are going on within them. And poof, you're out of here. It's kind of interesting. So this dance and this magnetic attraction that draws one helplessly in is followed by a repulsion that pushes us helplessly away. When away, however, the feeling of missing and yearning arises, just like it did with Hades. Uh, uh, and he said, oh, no, 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 no. I, I finally got my my uh, honey girl over here, and I, I wanted to come back, and, and okay, I'll broker a deal. You know, one-third of a year is better than nothing. So he is willing to let her go into the conscious upper world as long as she returns to him. And that's also what happens in life. We need to come and go. Light and dark, day and night. Love and not love. You know, in a sense... I was thinking about this. It's like, you know, here I go. I'm making one of my uh, quantum intuitive leaps, so just bear with me. You know, what brings us closest to love than when someone dies? Suddenly, we are totally aware and very often wish or pray that they could just return to or aggravate the shit out of us one more time but they can't because the opposites have ceased. But that's a deep loving. That's also a deep mystery of the underworld. That's not, you know, an upper world love. That's a profundity that keeps us moving. The remembrance of the ancestors, 
The heart never forgets. Feelings never forget. The mind forgets. And, you know, consciousness is not in the brain. What we're doing with the brain is, you know, we're repeating data and spitting it out. Which is why sometimes people have such a hard time with meditation or being still. They just want that data battle to be running all around. Well, it's the stuff we believe we've heard from somebody else. Gossip, brain gossip. But the feelings, the feelings we earn, and the heart is the chamber, you know, of how we process and the wisdom and the place of feelings, not the mind. So in this falling in love part, notice it's called a fall. We don't uh, arise in love. We fall in love. It's a fall. it's a loss to the ego. All of a sudden, this perfect stranger, it is unbearable not to be with them. So that's we're going one opposite. We're going to one extreme, all of there, and then we lose part of ourselves in the process because we ignore our own needs and wishes, and bam, something, you know, then then uh, self kicks in and goes, no, 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 you, you know, dial this back. This is not. We need some balance here. So then it's like we look and oh, God, they're they're really not as marvelous as I thought they were. You know, we start all that stuff rather than being able to say, you know what? Okay, I've gone too far. I am losing myself. And that self that that other fell in love with is now disappearing. So they're not going to love me anymore because that person who I am, I have now lost. And then they can't find it and I can't find it. And that's what happens. And then people get divorced and, and marry an earlier version of the same person. Younger version goes on and on. But if we understood this need for the opposites and weren't threatened by it, and that it is the way that the self keeps things enlivened and growing, that would make a big difference. And then Hayes and Persephone, you would understand so much better what's going on in there and down there. Because they're growing and becoming and you never hear any dirty wash with these two. Nobody's running around. Nobody's uh, picking on other lovers. I mean, they're really working their their love out on that level. Now, what begins to happen? So the lost opposite is needed to protect us from being overrun by the conscious feelings. We need to yearn for the lost opposite. And that helps us bring it into consciousness, where it can do its protective work, you see. So one initially yearns for the other, and then one yearns for oneself again. And one feeling brings them together, and the other feeling breaks them apart. They both must be present in the structure to be complete. But the structure cannot be complete until a third entity develops 
uh, that includes them both. And Jung uh, coined this term the transcendent function to describe the psychological process of forming this third entity, which transcends the individual opposites by indicating both of them are being neither. Opposites by including both of them while being neither. As the ego becomes increasingly uh, capable of containing both opposites simultaneously, it comes increasingly to a more accurate reflection of the self, the archetypal wholeness and totality. So we got to dance that tango or that cha-cha or the dance of the opposites, whatever it is, and the more we can uh, remember, you know, the ego just wants one-sided and nothing is happening. Nothing. Which is a terrible waste of a life. So that's part of what uh, Persephone and Hades are teaching us. So I know the first this has been recording. I think you missed maybe the first five minutes, so I'll just... Oh, I don't even know how to correct that one. Who am I fooling over here? All right, so uh, I'm going to post this, and hopefully I'll repost it tomorrow, and uh, that's the story. Mm, isn't, isn't it fascinating? Bye-bye. <laughs>